possessing your land. Um, it, is, it is something that um, is, is super important, and I want you to just connect with me. I, I hope that you have been here a couple of weeks ago for these other parts, but if I had to say to you or ask you this question, how many of you want to walk in the fullness of your inheritance? Most of you hopefully would say, yeah, that's me. I, I want to walk in the fullness of my inheritance. And when I say walk, I mean, you know, the term walk means to experience it sort of daily. I want to walk in the experience of my inheritance that God has given me. Because we know that we have been, if, you, if you've been with Lake Haven for any length of time, you know that we talk about this as we have been by grace through faith. We've been given all these magnificent promises, right, uh, and of, of entering His kingdom and, and how to live in this kingdom. And we, we speak about kingdom a lot because that's to what we've been called, but we've seen in this series, um, right, and we're going to start with this again from Hebrews 4, that you, we can fall short of actually living in our promises, and we don't want to live there. We don't want to be satisfied with that, so in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, it says this, therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. And then he carries on. I'm just going to stop there. We who have believed enter that rest. He's talking about a rest and that the whole Sabbath, the whole Sabbath rest before we get all caught up and get all religiousized and we make, which day is the Sabbath? Is it a Saturday? Is it a Sunday? We've got to keep it as a day of rest. How many of you have been all got all of that religious junk that's come over you and you've said, you better take a day of rest because God's going to be mad at you if you don't take a rest? No, it was speaking and it was the whole purpose of the Sabbath was, was pointing forward to this, it tells us in Hebrews. To a day. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have a day of rest, okay? It's a good thing to have a Sabbath. It's a good thing to take a day of rest. It's a good thing to have your break. But what he was speaking about was a prophetic time in the future where we would enter into rest, when we would enter into our kingdom promises. And we spoke about this in the last one, so I don't want to unpack that too much. But in, if you carry on in verse uh, 6 of that chapter, Hebrews 4 verse 6 says that, Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Failed to enter because of disobedience. Now, that word disobedience, I've unpacked that as well. It means uh, apathia. It's actually, the, the, it's not just uh, I'm not going to hear you and I'm just going to directly disobey you. It's an unwillingness to be persuaded. You can resist allowing yourself to be persuaded. So he says again, I'm going to read it again. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, those who formerly received the good news fail to enter because of their unwillingness to be persuaded of truth. Again, he appoints a certain day today saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. Now that's a warning and we've unpacked that in other messages as well. We are warned not to allow our hearts to be hardened. And so in Ephesians 4, let's just bring this scripture out. I'm not going to teach on hardness of heart, but we have an ability, and we are encouraged not to allow our hearts to be hardened. We can allow our hearts to be hardened. And we see the danger of this in this last scripture we've read, that if we do allow our hearts to be hardened, that is a big factor of how we can not receive the promises. The whole parable of the sower, and you know it's a favorite of ours to go into, but but really, in the parable of the sower, it's talking about ineffectiveness, about hearing the Word of God, and our, the soil is the condition of our hearts. You get to decide if your heart is going to be the hardened soil on the pathway, if your heart is going to be the shallow soil that's going to give a little, little, little depth, and, and the seed of the Word of God is just going to sprout briefly, but when persecution comes, it's going to kind of fade away. Your heart also determines if there's thorns planted with it. Your heart is the one that chokes the Word of God. So the Word of God, as we've seen, is, is untouchable. It's pure. It's unadulterated. But our heart determines if, our, if we can embrace 
the truth of God's Word and allow it to flourish. And if we do, we get the promise that it will produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. The Word of God can be limited in our lives. So can you see there's an interrelationship here that we're seeing here that hardness of heart can, can stop us, can prevent us from entering into rest. And, and I'm not going to unpack the whole of Hebrews 3 and, and 4, which talks at length about this. It talks about, listen, guys, don't, don't allow that. Don't, don't keep, be kept of it. You, and, and there's certain factors about what we can do. But know that, that um, in, if he, let's just, like I said, Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now I say, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now I'm going to stop there. He's telling us, Believers in Ephesus, listen, people, don't walk. There's that walk again. Don't live. Don't conduct your life just as the unbelievers do. Which means what? We can live our life like the Gentiles do. Right? If we're told not to, we can. So he says, don't walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous. Now, he goes into saying this in, in verse 19. He says, They have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not what you learned in Christ. or learned, That's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, I did this in a, a previous series, but hardness of heart, as we see here, is something that we are told that we can live in the futility of our thinking. If we process life just as the world does, if we think like the world does, we can allow our hearts to be hardened and calloused. You with me? Do you see that here? Okay. So this is, the, this is the warning. Now, I know you've heard this scripture many, many times before. Hosea 4 verse 6 says this. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You've heard that, right? My people, the Lord says, through Hosea, are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So there's this piece of information, and, and it's not just simply information, but the children who, not the, not, not, not the Gentiles, not the unbelievers, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, God is not saying, just in case you're with me, God has got a big stick, and if you don't go to Bible study, He's going to destroy you. Do you know that's how some people hear it? That's how I used to hear it. I used to think that God had a big stick and He is going to be the one to destroy you if you don't toe the line, if you don't read the Bible, if you don't go to blah, 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 if you don't read this. No, He's, he's saying, guys, your, your access to life is through knowledge. And He says, if you, don't, if you don't access knowledge, you can risk destruction. Just like in Jesus' analogy of building your house on the rock or building your house on the sand. You can receive the knowledge, but if you put it into practice, you're building your house on the rock. If you don't put it into your house, you can be affected by the storms. Now, that's not telling you, let me be very clear, that's not saying that you won't go to heaven. If you're a believer in Jesus, I believe you, you are, it's very hard not to go to heaven. If you have believed in Jesus, you become a child of God, and it's now it's not a whole discussion as the once saved, always saved. I'm not going to go down that route today. But I, I want you to know that this is not talking. If your house gets damaged or destroyed for a lack of knowledge, your life gets kind of washed away by the storms of life and ends up on the garbage heap of life, so to speak, that does not mean that you're not saved. Okay. It does not mean that. Listen to this version. I'm not sure it's not as well known. Isaiah 5 verse 13. Therefore, my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. 
for lack of knowledge, they go into exile. What does exile mean? Exile means you're living outside of your land. We've studied it before from Hebrews, uh, from Hebrews 10, where it says that the whole, the whole journey um, of the Israelites was, was a typifying our Christian walk. So there was the world in Egypt, and they had, were baptized when they crossed the Red Sea. They were in the wilderness for a period. They received the law, all of these, these things. They go into the promised land, and it says that, that this is what Hebrews 3 and 4 was teaching that we started with, that, that this is the land of promise. This is the land, and, and as I said, I think even in the first one, that there are giants in the land. But we have got the ability to be butt-kicking, giant butt-kicking people. And, and so we are designed to deal with giants are not in heaven, people. It's not talking about the promised land in the sweet by and by. Thank God for heaven. Man, I tell you, we have got n- almost no idea how much awesomeness and joy is set before us. But I know that it motivated Jesus enough to face the cross. And I think there's so much that we have got yet to experience. So I'm not against that getting us our hope built up and getting... There is, there's extraordinary joy in looking forward to the afterlife and what's got, you know, after this life, because I don't believe we ever, our lives ever end. We don't even taste death. We're just going to transition from this world into another world. And it's good. <laughs> I digress yet again. But know this, that if you have an eternal view of life, you will live differently here. If you truly believe that, you will live differently here because you will realize 60, 80, 90, 120 years here on this planet is nothing compared to what's coming. Nothing. And so when we live an eternal life and we start valuing things according to eternity, we put things in eternal perspective. We start looking at life with eternal perspective. And then Jesus' words in Matthew 6.33 start making sense when he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. There is so much there that I, I want to go into because, but for the sake of time, I don't want to do that just yet. But, but we have got this ability here to enter into our promised land, to, let, to possess our promised land, okay? And so that's the point of this message. There, uh, now, we see there was, there was two things that we, we've seen in the people that, that failed to enter. Now, remember, they were the spies, and Israel did not enter the promised land. Ten of them, and then, and then the whole of Israel followed them. There were only two of that generation, it says, older than 20 years old, that two of them that entered the promised land, and that was, as we know, Joshua and Caleb. The rest of them, they didn't have it in them to believe God. They did not trust Him. And as Hebrews 3 that we just read, uh, sorry, in Hebrews 4 where we just read, it says they failed to enter because they did not mix the promise with faith. Faith is necessary, and we'll touch on that later, Faith is a necessary ingredient if we're going to lay hold of our, of our promises. If you just sit down and say, well, I'm saved. I guess God will bless me if He wants to. I guess I can have the promises if He wants to. I guess I can get my healing if He really, really wants to. No. No. It doesn't happen that way. If you just sit around waiting and you think, well, I'm just saved, praise God that you're saved. Praise God that you're going to heaven. But that's not how you inherit your promises. You inherit the promises we say so often by grace, which means given freely as a gift, through faith, by laying hold of it, by and through faith. Another message, right? We, we see, so not believe, there was two factors we see in those people who were entering in. One, they did not believe in themselves, and they did not believe in God. They did not believe God was trustworthy to His Word, and they didn't believe that they were able. Because God said, and Joshua was, and Caleb were tearing their clothes, saying, We are well able. We can do it. We can do it. We can take care of it. We can. We can face those giants. People, people, let's do it. God says we can. They were two of them in the whole of Israel. We can do it. God's word is true. We can do it. Let me tell you a sad truth. This is a sad truth. A lot of Christians, a lot of believers 
do not enter their promised land. And for many reasons, they either live in exile of their promises for lack of knowledge. Shannon, are you saying that you're starting to teach works right? No, 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 no. I'm not saying that you're not righteous. There's a big difference besides I am the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ and understanding that foundation which we talk about in D group. If you're not, if you're not done D group with Pastor T and Stacy, please, please sign up for D group. But you have been given an identity in Christ. You have been given a position in Christ that is yours. Nothing can touch your sonship in Jesus. Your value is untouchable in Jesus. You have the same value as I do, as Jesus does. We are loved as much as Jesus is loved by God the Father. That blows my mind. The Father loves us as much as He loves Jesus. We are seated with Him in heavenly places. He, we have co-heir status. That's mind-blowing. But you know what? We live in exile because we have chosen for lack of knowledge. We choose to stay in ignorance or we choose not to lay hold of these promises. Amen? And so, we, two things. One, we've got to see God as He is. And two, uh, we've got to see ourselves as God sees, him. God sees us. Amen? Amen. Okay, so I'm going to run through a couple of facts here. And I think these are absolutely liberating pointers for us to go through. Now, I'm just going to give you some scripture references. So if you have, want to take out a heart card and write it down or determine if you're going to come back and listen to it. But there are some truths you need to get your heart established in. And I'm talking about your heart established in your belief system established in. I am not talking about information you hear with your head that you can regurgitate. I'm talking about establishing your heart in truth, okay? So this is one. Understand this. Number one, God has given all the inheritance to Jesus. Okay? His covenant, and we've spoken about covenant before, His covenant was not with you and I, it was with Jesus. Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were made to Abram and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. The new covenant, the covenant that we celebrate in communion, the one that replaced the old covenant, the new covenant that was to come, Understand this, it was not a covenant God made with you. Now, that doesn't sound, to, to, to a mind that hasn't processed some of this, that doesn't sound like, it's like, what do you mean it's not for me? I thought these are all mine. No, 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 this is very liberating. Very liberating, and you'll see why. Because this promise, you see, if it, this covenant was with you, then you could break the covenant. It wasn't with you. He made it with Jesus. So it's an unbreakable covenant. And just to solidify this and seal it and make it untouchable, Jesus died and is now in heaven. So it ain't being touched. The covenant is eternal. There is a man seated in heaven next to the right hand. A man. The Bible calls him a man now. The son of man he called himself and now he's a man in heaven with, uh, with new and better promises, with the blood of Jesus that taken to the, the, to the eternal I could get all lost in that. But Jesus, this covenant was made with Jesus, not with you and I. We cannot affect it. We get to be beneficiaries of that covenant. How? By grace through faith, right? We enter in Christ. Uh, I could get, spend weeks there. We can, we, when we enter in Christ by grace through faith and we step into Jesus and we believe on Jesus, that's when we as, I am getting ahead of myself. That's where we become a co-heir with Him. I get His inheritance through the great exchange. But, okay, so here again, 
Verse number two, I have a new identity. When, when you're born again and you come to Jesus, you have and get a new identity. You know the scripture well, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away and, be, and, and all things, behold, all things have become new. You get a new identity. That is mind-blowing the more you unpack that. Your history was eradicated. You were exchanged. You were katalaso. You were exchanged. You get Jesus' history. You get Jesus' righteousness, etc. You are a new creation when you come to Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. That's, again, that's what we celebrate when we do communion. When we take the bread and the wine and we, we thank God for the, new, the, the blood of the new covenant. This is the blood of His covenant. This is His body that's broken for ours. That's, that's that we are celebrating the great exchange. Or, as 2 Corinthians 5 says in a lot of translations, they use the word reconciliation. That is the word kataloso, which means to be exchanged, reconciled. So I get this new identity in Jesus. Okay, so now number three is where I was jumping ahead to. Because I am in Christ, I am a son or a joint and a fellow heir in the inheritance. Wow. Listen to this, John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Or how about this, Romans eight sixteen. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Wow. Okay, so we're seeing this picture, right? He has the covenant. He made the covenant with God. We join in with Him. With a new identity, we get this new identity when we're exchanged in Him and we become co-heirs. So what happens? Think about this. Now, I'm going to use a big word here, qualified. We are now qualified for every promise. Now, listen, people. Flesh does not accept this. Religion especially does not believe this. We are qualified for every promise because why? Because we're exchanged. We have the righteousness of Jesus. Okay, so what does it say here? 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Now, if we go into that, it says the amen is spoken to us, of course. But how about this Colossians 1 12. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritances of the saints in the light. Qualified. Now, Honestly, we can literally unpack each one of these and spend an entire message, at least, on each one of these. But I wanted to give you these bullet points, kind of, because I promised you a few weeks ago that I wanted to give you some factors that you could lay hold of. And if you took them and you spent time assimilating them and made them your own, it would radically revolutionize your love, your life. Because I must be honest, this scripture in 2 Corinthians 1 we just read, that every promise is yes and amen. That was just a scripture to me. It was like an abracadabra verse to me. I didn't understand why. I didn't have a grasp in my heart why I could lay hold of that truth. But you see, if you've listened to the first three points I've given you before that, you're like, hold on, I never did earn them. Jesus earned them. The covenant is with Jesus. I'm entering into Jesus, so I get it only by grace. Only by His grace, by His finished work, right? So we're qualified for every promise. Okay, so how about this? Um, well, I mean, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip that one for now. I'll come back to that one later. Fel then number five, understand this, the word fellowship or communion. Now, I use that word for yours. Communion was what we did, you know, in little cups. With, with grape juice and cookies or whatever, Jesus, you know, the little, 
the little wafers. You know, so I used to call that communion. But the word communion is, is the Greek word, it's used interchangeably, is the word fellowship. Okay? Now listen to this definition of fellowship. Is when two people share in common that which belongs to one. I'm going to give that definition again. Fellowship or koinonia, you've heard the Greek word, is actually when two people share in common, or more than two necessary, when two people share in common that which belongs to one. Whose inheritance is it? Anybody? Jesus. Jesus earned the inheritance. He has the covenant. So when I fellowship with Jesus, when I come into communion with Jesus, when I, when I commune and, I, and, and come into that koinonia, I am processing that which Jesus has given, or which is Jesus, I am laying hold of for myself. Are you starting to see why communion can be powerful? The act of, 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 the, of, uh, of sharing the bread and the wine because what it does is, all it does is a simple reminder that that's who I'm sharing in. That's the promise that's mine. It's a powerful truth because that's why the scripture said, you remember, when we, how many times have we we've spoken about communion or lived in communion, especially if you've grown up in the church world, and it says, you don't mustn't eat, you mustn't eat the bread or drink the wine. If you I do it in an unworthy manner, you drink judgment on yourself. You better not have it, or otherwise God's going to kill you. Don't take, don't take the bread. That is so twisted. For one, God is not a destroyer, people. And we have to go into this. God is a life giver. And, and what he is saying, he says, if you, don't, if you don't participate in this, if you don't participate in this, in this in a worthy manner. If you don't understand what he does, that's why many of you are weak and sickly and some of you are even fallen asleep. Not because God did it to you. It's because you are in exile. You are living outside. You are being destroyed for lack of knowledge. You do not know that that has already been taken by Jesus. We, it's our inheritance to lay hold of for ourselves because if we don't, we can be weak and sickly and many of us can even fall asleep. And some are talk dying. It's talk dying early. I can tell you firsthand, too many firsthand knowledge that I have in my young short life have had to sit at many believers who have died way too early. I hate religion. Because religion will say, oh, it was God's will. Nope, it wasn't. And that lie from the pit of hell has just caused so many people to hate God and to destroy and to cause God. That God is in control. And listen, you know that's a live wire to me, some of you. Because I can teach on that and write on that and extensively. I am not saying that God is not omnipotent, omniscient, that He is all-powerful God, but there, there, is, there is understanding that God, is, God does not... Yeah, sorry, I can wait. <laughs> but it is a pit of hell lie. Stick with me if you have already thrown us out. It was nice knowing you. you know, we'll see you in heaven somewhere on this, you know, Westgate or Eastgate, one of them. We'll try and get together somewhere of Jerusalem. I don't know. But if we, don't, if we don't understand what we're doing, there's not magic bread and there's not magic wine or grape juice. Okay? We've got something kind of special planned at the end of October. It's going to be fun. We're going to do something special with communion. But, but you'll wait and see. You'll have to come back for that one. But, but there is we, we understanding this, that it is, it is fellowshipping with Jesus. And, and honestly, I, I must be frank. Actually, I'm Shannon, but, uh, but, okay, but, uh, but, but, you know, it takes a while to process some of these truths. It does. It takes time to go and sit with one of those and your Bible and say, Holy Spirit, teach me. Be my teacher. 
show me. And especially if we've come out of a bunch of drudgery and a bunch of religious stuff, and we're quick to regurgitate a bunch of religious stuff we were taught. It's like, you get your Bible, and you ask the Holy Spirit to show you, and He will. But I can promise you, it's not overnight. It's not overnight. Truths, these truths, you have to choose to build yourself in and, and, and build them into your heart and life as, as you can. And some truths are, it's like Lego blocks. I mean, my, my son loves Lego and he's any book. But like, it's like Lego blocks. A lot of information is good, but it's got to be built layer on layer, line on line, precept on precept. And sometimes you've got a little red Lego block that you're trying to stick in here and it just doesn't fit right? But it's like, listen, God in time, if you let him as the master builder, the chief cornerstone, he will put these pieces in, in your life. And one thing, one thing after another thing, will, you will get understanding. You will grow in understanding. But you see what often happens in a Christian's life is they get a piece of Lego and they say, I don't know where this fits. And eventually they give up and they throw it and then they sit back and they adopt an, et- an attitude that says, Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Remember that song? Some of you remember. We just wait. Well, I just don't understand. And then we resign ourselves to this lack of understanding. We say, well, I'll just don't. Un-. And look, we're all growing in understanding, people. But please, I, I had in my heart, if you are either watching or you hear online and you are a young believer or you are an older person, maybe you were saved many, many years ago, but you just stopped growing because you threw out or gave up hope of ever understanding. You just said, it's too hard. It's too difficult. I want to tell you something. It's not hard and it's not difficult. It is simple, but you have to allow, have to have patience, have its perfect work. You have to have a choice that says, Lord, and we spoke about repentance, what repentance truly is. Repentance means to be willing to change your mind. You have to have a heart that says, Lord, I, and, and really this is how simple it is. Are you willing to take the next step? That's all. Nobody's asking you to eat an elephant by tomorrow in its old proverb. Nobody. Are you just willing to take the next step? That's all. Because one step after another step after another step, and your life, when you look back one day or in a year's time, your life will be different. It will be. But you see, what we try and do is we try and compare ourselves to somebody else, and they say, I want to be there, and if I can't be there by you know, 5 p.m. this afternoon, then it's just not worth it. Or we have this idea that it, that it just it doesn't, take any, it doesn't take any effort. It doesn't take any intentionality. It does. It takes intentionality. It takes a willingness to grow and get established in knowledge, in the things. And I'm talking about God-ordained knowledge, right? Are you with me? Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So fellowship. Um, Galatians 2.20 says that, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Praise God. Now, okay, the next one. Understand this. When we enter Jesus, when we fellowship with Jesus, we are delivered from every curse. You see, we think we deserve curses. We actually do, because we settle down with a curse and say, oh, well, and we start naming all these sicknesses, diseases, and stuff, and we start calling them mine. My cancer, my this, my that, my thyroid, my backache, my, 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 my. We, we, if we go and read what the curses are, remember we have got to get, when we get this, let me just read Galatians 3, 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. There we see the exchange again. He took every curse by becoming a curse for us. 
sickness and disease and mildew and blight and everything else that we see in Matthew, tw- uh, sorry, Deuteronomy 28, all the curses of the law, of not keeping the law, every single curse was taken by Jesus. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ, verse 14, the blessing of Abraham, listen, so that in Christ, where? In Christ, where? In Christ, Jesus, the, ble- the, the blessing of Abraham may come to the Gentiles so that we may receive the promised spirit through faith. Okay. That is Galatians three thirteen and 14. Every curse. Every curse, if you go and study Galatians 3, 13 and 14, and you say, you know what? I am delivered from every curse. Every curse. I am delivered. Why? Because I'm that good and I'm all that in a bag of chips and I know how to keep all this. And No, because Jesus took the curse for me. I am, I am deserving. I am qualified. I am a joint heir. Those are truths. Those are truths. But you know what I could do is I can choose to put a pin in it and say, no, you don't don't understand. You don't understand. That's cancer. And the big fancy doctor at Mayo Clinic, the one that studied for 20 years, he says, he says. And so you you make God this big or this big. Poor little Jesus. He's over here stuck in church on a Sunday. But the guy from the Mayo Clinic, he's this big and he knows everything. If I mean to insult that, I'm sorry. I mean, but I'm just saying, comparatively speaking, if we only look at the external information, and I mentioned this in number two of this thing, if we only look at the evidence presented by our eyes, then we see the giants. And we say, I can't enter that. And guess what? In your ability, you can't. In your strength, what your eyes see, what your ears hear, what your hands touch, what your nose smells, everything. All of your five senses are presenting you evidence. If you've got pain, if you've got this, you get more evidence from the natural realm. More and more evidence is stacking up that you can choose to say, well, there's giants over here. Don't you see the giants? Yes, but what will you believe? Will you choose to look at the evidence of what you've seen? Or will you use faith that trusts the God of the promise, that sees Him as bigger and says, He says, I am well able. He says, I can can take on the giants. He says that I can overcome. You see, that, that looking, that choice to say, I am going to look at the evidence on that side. I am going to choose to look at the evidence of what God says. That's what I'm talking about. That is a daily, moment-by-moment decision to walk in other evidence. I am going to choose to see and read the character. I'm going to see what his promises are. I'm going to choose, like these facts that I'm rattling off to you here in 20 minutes or so. These few points, that's only a start. Because then you've heard me say many times, abide in my word. If you abide in me, on your own you can't do anything. If you abide in me, he, who, who, who's me? The word. He is the word. He is the logos made flesh. If you abide in me and I abide, you will bear much fruit. If you, all of these things, that if you, if you, you, the truth shall set you free. But of course, what truth? After you abide in my word. We've gone through those. John 8, 31 and 32. So many things that I'm just flashing through over here. But... Faith, and and I'm going to say this again, faith is not an individual promise. Faith is in the God of the promise. Faith doesn't take the one little verse. Faith says, he is Jehovah Rophe. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is Jehovah Shalom. He is the God who spoke those things. Your faith becomes sure because it's established in the character of the one who gave the promise. Your faith is in Him, the promise giver, the promise keeper. Your faith is not in. Now, is that, is that, tr- is that fact true? Yes, it is. But it's, it's not faith in your faith, people. It's not faith in the, how many times I can say that. It's not faith in, in I, I know that scripture 10,000 times. Know Him gives the promise. Yes. 
Walk with Him who is the promise keeper. And, 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 and honestly, listen, guys, trust takes time. You've got to learn to trust God. You don't just start a relationship with God and say, okay, I trust you. Now, I like we say that. Oh, yeah, God, I'll trust you. I'll trust you. But the truth is that until you trust somebody and you know them, remember, you know that old illustration that comes to mind about the guy with the wheelbarrow on the, on the tightrope, remember? I mean, you probably heard it a hundred times. But there was that guy that was, apparently it's a true story, but he used to be a famous tightrope walker, and then he was walking across the Niagara Falls or something like that. And, and people were like cheering, oh, this guy. And he says, and he would walk across, and he walked back again. It was the first time anybody had ever done anything like that. And so he said, you know, do you believe that I can do this? Yes, yes, yes. And he says, well, I'm going to do it with a wheelbarrow. And they did it with a wheelbarrow. And he says, do you believe I can do that? again? Yes. He says, okay, then get in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that, right? Because we, we think that, yeah, yeah, God can do it. And that's the problem is that we don't, we, we put it out there and, and it's, we don't realize that we are the ones that take the promised land. I said, it, I said it even last week, I think it was, that, or maybe it was in number two, that I said, the Holy Spirit is not the doer. He is the helper. We don't do this alone. We don't do this alone. We don't do it alone. He walks with us, and He helps us, and He's going to help us and helps us establish it. He does not do it. But we, we want to be idle bystanders. We want to be an inactive, non-participation role player where God can do all the stuff. And then we've got all this theology that says, well, God is in control. I'll just stand here. And if he really wanted to heal me, he would. Or I'm just going to stand here. You all guys, you will pray. That's a very spiritual deception one. You will pray. I hope you get a big prayer team together. So you can all convince God. But I'm just going to stand here. But that's what we do. Not all of us. I mean, the ones that aren't here today or whatever. <laughs> no. There, we, we've got, we, we are the ones that have the lack of knowledge. We are the ones that have to enter with faith. We have to lay hold of these truths that are ours, given by grace, have to make it ours by faith. We have to see the giants and the evidence all presenting itself, and we've got to choose to lay hold of the character of God and make these truths our own. Every promise is ours. Every promise is yes and amen. None of the curses are ours. He is the covenant. He, the covenant was with Him. Amen. Amen. So next time, you know, we don't have, we're not going to do communion today. But I want you, if you come back soon, we will do communion again soon. <laughs> but remember, you can even do that. You don't need to have a special communion service. But man, I tell you what, I have gone and got, a, I've got a, I have got a cookie and a glass of water before. You can do that. Do you know that, right? It's about choosing to fellowship, choosing to do that, going home, saying, wow, I have a new covenant. I have an exchange. Anyhow, we, we will remind, we will go through this together. But, but we have a promised land. You have a promised land of great promises. The Bible says our new covenant is based on even better promises. That means that we have way better promises than the Israelites did. Way better things to lay hold of. And, I, and yeah, I, I, I just want to say, kingdom is so much more. Kingdom is so much more than just the external things, people. If we saw kingdom of God and we see, well, how's that going to affect my bottom line? How's it going to change my bank account? Is it going to, what does it mean for me in my fiscal realities, or even my healing. All of those are parts of it, but I'm telling you that external part, if we only chase God for the external part, we're, we're missing the, 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 the fullness of the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. 
Jesus in his kingdom says that his kingdom is, is a, is a, is a is, he explains it this way. He's like experiencing righteousness, peace, and joy. And that is an internal, an internal experience. That's where you get to live life and be at peace and have the fullness of what God give, gives us. And that doesn't matter on your circumstances. That doesn't matter who's president of America. That doesn't matter if you're having third world war outside. It really doesn't. We can live in a presence that is so much richer and so much more full. And yes, I'm not saying that we won't have our needs met and we can have all those other things we're given. But sometimes I think we so chase the external and the external only talks about this world. I don't believe kingdom is only for this world. It's not just about your comfort. It's about a whole kingdom of His purposes and causes that we're called to do in full. Amen. I, I got so much in the, on the air, but let's just end here. Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for the communion that we have with you, that you never leave us or forsake us. And so we acknowledge you and your presence in our lives. Father, we thank you that you, as, even as you send Hans to us next week, Lord, that our hearts are open and receptive for that next step. You're calling us onto a next step journey. This journey is a lifelong journey. It's not one decision. Certainly it begins with one decision and that decision is an eternal one when you choose to follow Jesus. It's certainly where we begin, but it is a journey of life where we choose to be disciples and learners and work with you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. One step. Question today I wanted to ask you is, will you take one step? If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do so today. And all that means is saying, Jesus, thank you for dying on that cross for me, for paying for all my sin. I don't know what it even means to be for you to be Lord and Savior of my life, but I'm willing to trust you. If you just say something simple like that from your heart, will you just declare him Lord and Savior of your heart and life? I'm telling you, he'll meet you where you're at. Maybe you're watching the recording of this or watching live. But if that is the, that is the most important step and that enters you into this incredible promise of the kingdom, you, every promise that gives you that joint inheritance. And maybe your next step is you've never, you've never chosen to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've never chosen that next step. If that's what you need to do, then choose and say, Lord, I want the fullness of that promise. And we can take you. We can help you. You can come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. We can give you a book. If you're not ready to jump into anything or if you think that's weird, I want to tell you that there is so much more for you in this area. We can give you a book that you can go and study and read. And when you're ready, we want to help you take the next step. But I'm telling you, that is, an, that is a next step. And then it, if you have been stuck, that was on my heart, as I said earlier. If you have been stuck in your, in your spiritual walk, do you want to stay stuck? Because there is life in your next step. There is growth in your next step. God's intention for you is to experience abundance of life. And even just committing to the journey again, even being willing to trust Him again and take just one step is going to change your emotional experience. Hope is going to be refreshed and renewed in you. Things that you've probably pushed out of your heart for many years, or maybe for a while, you've just said, I don't know if I can do that. I want to encourage you, just be willing to take the next step. And let's pray something like this in your heart. Just say, Lord, you're good enough. I believe that you're good enough. Thank you for your great love. Help me, Holy Spirit, to take that next step. Just help me take the next step. I want, to be a, I want to be a disciple. Make me a true disciple 
Open my eyes to see, my ears to hear. Maybe you've got one of those hardened hearts like many of us do. I've been there many times in my life when my heart is just so hardened by hurt or whatever. You know what? You can just hold up your hands to the Lord and say, you know, Lord, I think my heart is hardened. I struggle to hear you. I struggle to hear your voice. I give you my hardened heart, my calloused heart. Holy Spirit, will you work with me? I choose to let you soften my heart, and he will. I'm telling you, he will. It's just a choice to embark on a next step by next step journey with him. Father, I thank you for all of these brothers and sisters that you love so incredibly, so totally, so completely. And I just speak soft hearts and hearing ears. Soft hearts and hearing ears. Father, thank you that as they yield to your beckon, your, your warm beckon, I just see that image of the Father. That Father just wraps his arms around that son and is just rejoicing. I just see your father just wrapping his arms around you. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't push him away. Just let him love you. Let him meet you where you're at. Just yield to that. Enjoy the journey. It is a journey. Enjoy it. Join us on this journey. Join in with brothers and sisters that we're all on different places, and that's quite okay. We're at different places, but we still all have this very same value. We have the same value. Do not disqualify yourself or your father from loving you. You have a purpose. Let me tell you that. You have a kingdom purpose. And some of you, where your heart has been hardened, you have interrupted the Lord's purpose for you. He still loves you. He's not disappointed. But he has greater things for you. And there are many people on the other side of your obedience. There are many people on the other side of your obedience. But just that first step is just be loved by your Father. Just receive that love. Know that he loves you. Know that you're his favorite. Thank you, Lord, that we boldly approach your throne of grace, boldly to receive mercy and grace always to help us in a time of need. Thank you, Father, for this greater love. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. <laughs>